Today, we're talking everything telemedicine on the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey everybody, it's Andrew, and welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. I'm so happy you're here. For my returning listeners, thank you so much. For my new listeners, welcome. Because today, like on every episode, we're talking to the best guests from all around healthcare and beyond to discuss issues relating to the early career physician. Today, we have Dr. Laura Purdy on the show. She's a board-certified family physician who's wrapping up 14 years as an officer in the U.S. Army. After MD Live, Laura became one of the regional medical directors of HIMSS and HERS and entered the telehealth industry gig economy style. Laura has now worked for dozens of virtual health companies across the industry and also consults for early stage telehealth startups in the U.S. and the U.K. She has 49, soon to be 51, state medical licenses and believes in empowering young businesses to meet and exceed their business vision. Laura has co-founded two telehealth companies and now lobbying at the federal level to influence change that increases access to care and reduces disparities in telehealth. Well, I know I'm excited, so let's get Laura onto the show. Dr. Laura Purdy, welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being here. I already recorded a little bit about you for the listeners, but in your own words, could you tell us kind of who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I, so obviously my name is Laura Purdy. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a board certified family medicine physician and I've been in practice for about 10 years. So I'm wrapping up my my first decade. Um, and so family medicine doc, I was in the military for uh, almost all of my career until last year. So I did medical school residency. I went to medical school at the Uniformed Services University. So it was full-time active duty and then uh, residency at Martin Army Community Hospital, which was a military residency. And then I did my, my first uh, job out of residency at Fort Bragg doing a, they call it an operational job and then did some hospitalist work and whatever else was needed at Fort Campbell. And so I've been out since May of last year and now do all kinds of different things, which I'm sure we'll get into, but, you know, telemedicine, still do hospital work, um, entrepreneur, aesthetics. I have a family, four kids and I'm just having a great time, loving it. Well, that's great. You're certainly busy as, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes that makes it a lot better at being busy, but let's, uh, let's talk about telemedicine. So how did you get involved with telemedicine? Sure thing. So I tell people I was doing telemedicine before it was cool. <laughs> you know, before, um, before COVID I, telemedicine has been around for, you know, probably 15 years or longer in some capacity, but truly how I got involved was I was a hospitalist like med peds type of hospitalist at a small rural hospital up at Fort Campbell. And we were do we didn't, you know, in the army, you can't not be at work for more than four days. So we didn't do seven, seven, we did four, four, three, three, but I still had two, basically two weeks a month off. And like most physicians, I, I don't idle well. And so the thought of just doing nothing for two weeks a month wasn't exceptionally appealing 
to me. So I had a buddy who was working on the hospital service with me and he told me about MD Live, which is still a very large nationwide telehealth, kind of like urgent care phone and video consultation company. And he was doing it and he said, you should really do this because what I didn't want to do was go to another hospital and pull 12 hour hospitalist or urgent care or ER shifts on my days off. So at that time, telemedicine was a really good way to still get some work in, do some moonlighting, but not exhaust myself going somewhere else to pull 12 hour shifts. And that's how it started. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's pretty interesting. So uh, certainly telemedicine has evolved since then. Some, some out of necessity and, and some, some just because of the natural progression of technology and, and the needs of this, of the country really. Um, but you know, where do you think, you know, where, where do we stand right now in regards to telemedicine, um, as a profession and where do you think it's going? That's a fun question to answer. So, so, you know, telemedicine, um, in the olden days, which was not that long ago, what we had to begin with was really phone and video and probably more so phone because video is still to this day, hit or miss based off of technology, based off of internet connection, based off of patient ability to be in front of something that has a video, right? Most people can be at their phone, but not everybody can be in front of a video. And so as we've moved forward throughout, throughout time, there has been this, shifting towards what we call asynchronous telehealth. And for those of you who may not know what asynchronous telehealth is, that is the absence of what they call real-time two-way dialogue. So you and I are having a real-time two-way dialogue right now. But if there are, like, for example, my friends who might have been texting me this morning, we're communicating asynchronously. You know, so somebody messages me a little bit later and message them a little bit later. They might message me back. That's asynchronous communication. And so as the state laws, I'm sure you guys know this, the, a lot of the laws are governed by the state because the state is the regulatory authority and the issuing board of the licenses. We are not nationally licensed. We're, we're state licensed. And so the states are the ones that really have the jurisdiction to say, this is how we define doctor patient relationships. So so we've moved into this asynchronous where states have said, okay, we think that you can establish a valid doctor-patient relationship by doing things like texting, chatting, um, having a curated standard of care medical intake form that the doctor reviews after the patient has put in their information and then issues a prescription. And so, so now, and I think we have a really solid handle on that. There are some like publicly traded companies, there's some small private companies, there's just, there's been this explosion of asynchronous telehealth. And so where, where I think we're heading, I think we're going to see, and we are starting to see the development of more technology that isn't just computer systems, but actually devices that allow us to capture more objective data, um, tools and accessories that allow specialists to get involved because telehealth has largely been a, a, a primary care or a general practice game because it's been conversational. But as we have um, smart devices and connected devices and remote patient monitoring is a term for gathering objective data remotely, I think we're going to see more specialist involvement. I think we're going to see more complex care involvement of patients who have 
multiple comorbidities and need many medications, maybe have polypharmacy. And I, I always tell the story. I tell people, can you imagine, you know, a day where we could do things like virtual colonoscopies, right? Where the, you know, the doctor might be at home performing virtual colonoscopies all across the country, but in the room you have the um, anesthesiologist and the nurse and, you know, things like that. I think that would be a fun future to envision. And I also don't think it's unrealistic to imagine doing something like, like that as technology evolves. But we're really only limited by the bounds of what our minds can imagine and what our technology can do and what our laws can allow, truly. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually, to think about. You know, it's like you got it's like a video game almost. But um, yeah. yeah, certainly as virtual reality improves and, and as our, you know, our broadband network across the country improves, I think more importantly, um, we'll see we'll see some interesting things and, and the States will there, you know, I think that COVID gave it a little bump, uh, which, which helped. Right. Um, but, uh, it's, it's certainly interesting to follow. So aside from being speculative at this point, um, let's say, uh, you know, I'm a, a new grad, whatever internal medicine, family medicine, uh, person, um, who either wants to do this, um, part-time or, or, or full-time, you know, what advice do you have to the, uh, the newcomer? to telemed? Phenomenal question. So my first piece of advice is don't get in your own way. And I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Don't, don't get in your own way because I talk to a lot of doctors that are considering getting into telemedicine and I feel like they are a barrier to their own success. And because there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uncertainty and telehealth is not for somebody who does not have drive and ambition and is, you know, kind of bold enough to take control of their own career. It's not going to fall in your lap. Companies are not likely to seek you out. You have to seek them out. And the reality of the situation is um, you need to have lots of licenses. And it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to people at first, but when we start talking about it, if you, if you think about it, if you only have one or two or three state licenses, you are really handicapping yourself from being able to maximize your marketability as a physician to be hired. And then also the amount of patients that can be brought to you. And so if you want to do something part-time and continue to work in the hospital and continue to do a large amount of your work in the brick and mortar, then I think it's fine to have a couple of licenses, but it will not be a substantial portion of your income. If you're looking to get out of the grind of full-time primary care, full-time hospital work, full-time urgent care, and you're looking for like a phenomenal alternative with a great lifestyle and spending lots of time with your family or doing hobbies, then, then you need to have a lot of licenses. It's not really possible to do it in a substantial way with a small number of licenses. It does cost money, obviously, and it takes time but I have never met a physician who got 20, 30, 40, 50 licenses that regretted it and said that was a horrible investment. And I wish I hadn't done that. 
Okay. Well, that leads to the next question. You know, is this a viable full-time career? Um, because you see this, you see a lot on some of these, you know, Facebook boards and things like, yeah, well, the pay is really terrible. Or, you know, you got to see a million patients a day and maybe the volume isn't there. So you know, what do you say to those people? So what I say is they're doing it wrong. Actually, <laughs> I'm on some of those boards and I'm in some of those groups and I never, ever, ever comment on those groups because I, I think that the people that are making those types of comments have already decided their position and they're probably not a good fit for telehealth anyways. The way to make telehealth a, so here's, here's what I'll tell you is that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of ways that a company can design and structure itself as a telemedicine company. And the best way to, to make it a lucrative income is to work for several companies. I almost never recommend to become a W-2 and commit to quote 40 hours a week of full-time telemedicine because if you're going to do that you might as well just go work for a clinic or go be in a hospital i did that for two years and i did not enjoy that but as a 1099 working for lots and lots of different companies in a various capacity looking and searching and seeking and finding the way that these companies define their execution of telemedicine, I have been able to create my own reality and construct my own day and craft my own workload so that it's phenomenal. I would take a massive pay cut. I mean, it would be a, a tremendous financial loss to go back and work for a hospital or a clinic full time um, because I've figured out that I can work for lots of different places, get my job done appropriately and, and far, um, exceptionally replace my income, you know, tenfold more than that, probably even. Okay. Interesting. So, they're doing it um, wrong. they're doing it wrong. I like it. That's yeah. Whenever there's uh, otherwise these companies wouldn't be around, right. If they weren't profitable. Um, so, you know, if you're starting out, how what do you how many companies do you think somebody should be looking to, to get onboarded with for, you know, for, for a start? If you're not willing to get licenses, none. <laughs> okay, fair. Well, what if you're willing to get licenses? Then? Um, and here's the thing, like if you're not if you if you only want to have one or two licenses, then yes, go be a W2 for Teladoc. I am not affiliated with them. I do not work for Teladoc. Just using them as an example because they're one of the most aggressively recruiting companies and they are the people that will come to you. I don't necessarily recommend taking jobs that are offered to you by a locums company. Because a locums company is going to take a 50% cut and you are not going to see all of the salary that's being paid out on your behalf. You're only going to see about half of it. What I recommend doing is going to Indeed and searching telemedicine physician with location remote. You'll see all kinds of companies. The vast majority of folks do not advertise through on behalf of locums. They don't use recruiters. Recruiters are expensive. They have high placement fees. They take large cuts and they're very, very, very expensive. Um, 
But if you're not willing to go out and get licensed and take that risk to drop, you know, 20, 20 grand or how much ever it costs to get 30 or 40 licenses, um, then, then I don't even recommend bothering to look you're like, go to the Teladoc, go to the MD live, go to the Amwell and work the same workload that you would do in the clinic from home. But if you're working, you know, if you get a bunch of licenses, I would say at least 20, 25 in order to be marketable, then you can work for as many companies as you are able to pull off. There's no cool. limit. There's no limit, I don't think. But 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 it's important because these are businesses, right? They're still businesses and they don't need you. There's enough people like me out there who have 50, I have 50 licenses. There's enough people like me out there that are willing to do those jobs. And there's lots and lots of doctors that have lots and lots of licenses. So don't be confused by thinking that you're a commodity and they need you because they don't. You need to be valuable to them, right? So working hard, getting your stuff done on time, um, like meeting their service level agreements and not treating them like you're a gift to them. <laughs> um, that will certainly kill a job interview for a telemedicine company. Sure. Yeah, that can, that can certainly be an issue with docs, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. um, that's fair. What, what what do you think are some of the common pitfalls people run into other than not getting a lot of licenses since we got yeah, that? Yeah, a lot of licenses. So <laughs> is, I mean, that's a good license. But the second thing is um, fear, right? Fear that they're going to get in trouble. Every telemedicine company is these days, right? Because back in the day, there was shady internet pharmacies that were doing inappropriate things. And there's people that have gone to prison. There's people that have gone to jail. Yes. I will tell you that the main reason why people go to prison is Medicare fraud. Okay. Federal, I really don't, I try not to ever do anything where federal payers are involved. Cash pay, direct to consumer, or non-federal payers is is really your safest bet of course you know the big large huge companies are are generally safe but i would really um i would really caution you against getting involved in anything that has to do with federal payers because you never know when something might be inappropriately misconstrued as fraud when it's not intended to be. You know what I mean? I'll give you an example. I was talking to a client recently and what they wanted to do was sleep apnea. And their personal belief was that people were underdiagnosed for sleep apnea and they wanted to go off of somebody else's like research from another institution where they're trying to justify this notion that people are underdiagnosed for OSA. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. I bet they are. You know, maybe I don't know much about that, but maybe we need to be expanding the diagnostic criteria. Totally. And then what they said is, okay, so we want you to authorize prescriptions for DME for OSA and we're going to bill Medicare. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because yeah. that's got all over it. I can't. Now, if you want them to pay cash and I can write prescriptions and they are consenting to pay cash for this thing that's not standard of care and it's off label, but they're going to try it because we're trying to help them. That's fully legal. People can pay for that and that's fine. 
and it's medically justifiable and I'm acting in good faith, but I will not be billing federal payers, you know? Yeah. And fair enough. So anything like that, if Medicaid or Medicare is involved, just don't do it. Um, the second thing I would say, uh, is in, in, in along the lines of that, understand that these companies are highly legally vetted. There's always attorneys behind every telemedicine company and you're acting on behalf of the company. So whenever complaints come up or a patient files a complaint, which people do, people are people, right? It's you're not on your own. The company's got attorneys. You have people that are available to speak on your behalf. And so you are actually very legally protected working in telemedicine. Um, that was actually my next question, because I know some of the fear is that, you know, maybe you can't put your hands on a patient. So there's a, a greater liability concern there. But um, I mean, you know, stethoscopes are kind of a prop to begin with. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's right. You're right about that. I mean, how much of the of the healthcare that you do requires that yeah. almost none <laughs> i mean <laughs> i mean if we're I being honest rounds, you know i use it in the on the wards i use it in the icu but that's not what you're doing through telehealth typically right exactly. you know, i'm not like rounding on heart failure patients virtually <laughs> it's like oh i've got poison ivy or you know oh look at this thigh on my eyelid or hey i've got ed we're not typically going to do a physical exam for that. Right. Um, you know, but it, it is important. It is important to know. <clears throat> and I think we're getting, we're doing a better job at being able to identify what is not a good candidate. Right. Like when sure. those instances are where somebody really needs to be referred in person, that's part of doing a good job of telehealth too. And do a lot, do a lot of these companies have like a referral network or how does that usually work when, when you think someone needs an inpatient evaluation? Um, it goes like this. You're not a good candidate for telemedicine. Goodbye. <laughs> not really. It's a little nicer than that, but you're touching upon what I feel like is one of our areas for improvement or like an opportunity for improvement in telehealth is that referral network. Because for me, licensed in 50 States, I don't have any idea who the closest gynecologist in Idaho is, you know, couldn't tell you, I do not know. And, and so a lot of times we are really leaving patients um, to their own fate. <laughs> Could we say no, thank you. Um, so I think we can do better with that referral networks and being able to help connect people to their communities and to local health resources. But no, right now, I think there are a few exceptions to that rule out there, but as a general rule, no, it's just a referral out. Got it. Okay. And, and to our subspecialists listening on the call, you know, is there opportunity, uh, you know, let's say I'm a, a rheumatologist or an endocrinologist or something, and I want to do telemed. Um, is there opportunity there? Or are you kind of self-driven in that respect? Absolutely. 100%. There, there is. So if you get onto the job boards right now, you will actually see, and you can even search like telemedicine rheumatologist or telemedicine nephrologist, because there is a big shift, I think right now towards specialists and trying to figure out how 
to get specialists involved, like for example, dosing dialysis that then gets executed, right? Or doing physical exams virtually, even with endocrinology, there's a lot you can do if you have laboratory capabilities through telehealth. So there are actually companies out there right now that are looking to bring specialists in the game. And, 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 and here's a thought that I have, right? We know how to practice medicine and we know what the standard of care is and we all know how to do our jobs. If you have even an inkling of an innovator's brain, all you have to do is come up with a way to do your job without being in the same room as the patient and think creatively and you've come up with an idea. So there's no reason why you as a specialist can't approach companies that are, you know, you can do some research, you can look around and see who's getting into the area where you work and give them a call and say, this happened to me last week. I, a female urologist, a gal who's a urologist called me up out of nowhere, said, I want to have a meeting with you. And we started talking about telemedicine. And by the end of the call, I was like, okay, you really need to talk to the CEO of this company, because if you believe we can do UTIs in men through telehealth, which is something that isn't being done right now, this is going to be groundbreaking for the whole industry. And now she's working on a protocol to treat UTI in men remotely. Cool. Yeah. So there's still a lot of opportunity then in this field where we're still, we're still exploding, huh? Oh, tremendously. So, I mean, I feel like we haven't even scratched the, the surface of what we could do and what we can do. And now that the, the American public is ready for it and the state laws in the wake of COVID have adjusted to be able to accommodate it, we're, we're ready. We need, we need the specialists to get in there and say, let's talk about how we do rheumatology virtually. Let's talk about how we do oncology, right? Virtually. I mean, this can all be done virtually. We just need the specialists to get in there and, and tell us how to do it. Yeah, and certainly, certainly, most of this country needs it. Um, so it's uh, if you if you're ta if you're in, involved with health advocacy and disparities in healthcare, well, you know, there's your answer, right? Um, cool. Well, Laura, we're running out of time, so I just wanted to shift the show a little bit to get to know you as a guest. Um, so, other than uh, telemedicine around and and doing everything you do, what uh, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> fun well i have four kids um the oldest one is eight and so we kind of do all of the kid things for fun we are i personally had a background as a musician so i tell people medicine was my backup career when music fell through <laughs> <laughs> so i i play the piano that was like my first career and i sing and i do all things music which is a, it's really taking a backseat right now, but my hope is to bring it back someday. Um, we're huge Disney fans. <laughs> we love to travel and um, all, all kinds of things like that. That's great. Do, um, do you have a book recommendation for the listeners? Could be any genre. I honestly cannot remember the last time I read a book. Hmm. That's too bad, huh? Well... You're doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Watch any good movies lately? You know, I um in the same vein of <laughs> the uh, the Disney thing. Um, I don't know if you guys are Star Wars fans, but I would say that I'm a fan adjacent. 
my husband is certainly a fan and uh, we have recently enjoyed watching the uh, the book of boba fett series on on disney plus <laughs> that's not a product placement i'm not endorsing them but uh we thoroughly enjoyed catching up on that <laughs> last weekend <laughs> I'm in the middle of it. I'm still still working through it. I'm not gonna um, give. I don't know. I don't want to say anything. But it was no, good. please don't. <laughs> I'm still. I'm like halfway through. I'm not um, gonna say so anything, but you love it. I I'm excited to finish it. You know, there's only so much time. We have an 11 month old, so we're a little bit busy there too. But um, yes. we're. Uh, I, I'll, I'll get through there. My wife is not a Star Wars person, so it's my <laughs> own time. <laughs> She's like me, uh, and adjacent. That's yeah, fair enough. The um, the last question I have for you is uh, you've given us a lot of advice on this show, but if you could distill your advice to the early career physician down to just one thing, what would that be? It would be imagine what your dream career would be and then go do it. I really like that. So... <laughs> You, you heard it here for us, everyone. Just go do it. Just do it. Well, Laura, if uh, if people want to find you or learn out, learn more about you and what you do, where can they find you? Sure, absolutely. So I, I always tell people I will I will never I will never charge my peers for advice or for career advisement. You can text me. I'll I'll give you my phone number. You guys can text me. I, I love it. 910-644-8373. Text me and say, hey, I heard you on that awesome podcast and I want to know more about telemedicine. Or you can you can even find me on LinkedIn, but there's a you get a lot of spam. You get a lot of spam on LinkedIn. And so it's hard to weed through that and find find the the good ones. But y'all can text me. Don't call me. You'll never get me on the phone. But send me a text message and say, hey, I want to get into telehealth or what should I do? Where should I go? And I, I love to help my peers because you all early career physicians, you're the future of the industry. And I have jokingly called myself the grandmother of telemedicine. And so that would make you guys my grandbabies of telemedicine, which is <laughs> a silly thing to say because I'm in my thirties, but I, I want to steward the profession down to the next generation of physicians. And I want to help you all be a, as successful and even more successful than me and my colleagues in telehealth have been able to be. And so I, I would love to help you get into this. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show, uh, really educating us on telemedicine and uh, everybody Go do it and go get those licenses if you uh, if you want to get involved. But uh, thanks again. Um, thanks again for coming on the show. Awesome. Have a great day, guys. What a fantastic show with Dr. Laura Purdy. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, please leave me an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell at least three of your friends. It really helps get the word out there. The other thing I'd like you to do after listening is download my free guide to marketable skills for physicians at andrewtissardo.com slash skills. That's andrew, T-I-S-S-E-R-D-O.com forward slash skills. It's a step-by-step guide to realize what your skills are, why they are important, and how to utilize them. That's all I have for today, everybody. So as always, keep talking.
All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tissert DO, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof. The guest opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tissert DO, TalkToMe.LC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tissert DO, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.